Our theme this year is fearless. We just lived for two and a half years in a time of great fear and intimidation. And we just announced the beginning of the year that our theme is fearless and we're going to seek with all of our heart to create a courage culture. This is what we want to live in. This is what we want to contrast the world for is a culture of courage to raise our children in, to be fearless, fearless people who fear only the Lord. And A.W. Tozer said, and I've been using this quote for my last three talks, but A.W. Tozer said, a frightened world needs a fearless church. And we read some weeks ago from Psalm 112 and verse 8 about the fear of the Lord. This is the fear that possesses me. This is the fear that possesses you. When I say fearless, it's not altogether true because there is a fear of the Lord, but that fear of the Lord does make me fearless for everything in the world or beneath it. The fear of the Lord. And so here's what we read in Psalm chapter 112 and verse 8. They, and this is speaking in the context of this psalm of those who fear the Lord. They, those who fear the Lord, are confident. They're confident. And they're fearless. Isn't that something? The fear that alleviates all other fear. They are confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. Fearless. That doesn't mean I don't have foes. It just means I face my foes confidently and fearlessly. And that's what the world needs. The world needs a confident and a courageous church. Not a church that is so compromised to the world that the world can hardly tell the difference between the church and the world because we don't act any different. We don't love any different. We don't do any different than the rest of the world. No, no, the world needs a church that is a contrast to it. A, wor a world, a church that is not conformed to it, but transformed by the word of the Lord. The church. Sometimes we think the government is the answer. Sometimes we think some kind of a platform is the answer. And I pray for governments and, you know, this is how we can live peaceably and all of that. <clears throat> but there is no government that is the salt of the earth. There is no government that is the light of the world. That is the church of Jesus Christ, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So we've been asking the question, what does a fearless church look like? Jesus has conquered death, but Jesus has conquered something, <coughs> excuse me, even greater than death. What's greater than death? What's, what's worse than death? It's the fear of death. And Jesus has not only conquered death, but Jesus has conquered the fear of death. You know, you only die once, but you can die a thousand deaths being scared to death of death. But Jesus has defeated and conquered both. So what does a fearless church look like? A, a fearless church is a church that believes in a risen, glorious, resurrected Christ who has conquered death and not only conquered death, but defeated the fear of it. The fear of it. We read in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 15. By embracing death, taking it into himself, 
He destroyed the devil's hold on death. He destroyed, he destroyed the devil. He destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who cower through life, scared to death of death. What does a fearless church look like? Well, like fierce followers of Christ who are not afraid to die because they're not afraid of death because they've already passed from death into life because we're going where he's going. Death is a foe. And we can fearlessly face it knowing that Jesus has conquered it and released me from the fear of it. What does a fearless church look like? Secondly, a fearless church is not afraid of man. Not afraid of man. The Bible teaches us that the fear of man brings a snare. And the Hebrew word is literally a noose. I mean, what a terrible image a noose is. But that's what the fear of man brings, a noose that takes the very life out of us. A fearless church is fierce followers of Christ who are not afraid to die, but it's also bold believers in Jesus who are not afraid of man. What can man do to me? You see, the church is espoused to Jesus. Paul said, I have espoused you to Christ. What does that mean? It means that the church is betrothed to Jesus. The church is his romantically. The church is engaged to Jesus. Her heart and her desire is to please Jesus. She does not need nor seek nor seek the gaze or the approval or the attention of other men. Because her heart is set apart for him. And her heart's desire is to please him, not them. Paul said in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? Look, I'm not trying to displease man, but am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. As the betrothed of Christ, I do not have eyes for other men. You see, a fearless church does not live for the opinion or the appraisal or the approval or the applause of man. No, her heart's desire is to please him, that she may have a walk worthy of him, fully pleasing him in all things, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, Colossians 1.10 says. She does not fear being canceled by men when her sins have been canceled by Christ. A fearless church. What does a fearless church look like? Fierce followers of Christ who are just not afraid to die. And bold believers in Jesus who are not afraid of man. And last week, we talked about daring disciples of Christ who are not afraid of the dark or anything that lives in it or rules in it or reigns in it. The world needs a church that is not afraid of the dark. The Bible says that the world sits in darkness, that darkness has covered the earth, gross darkness the people, but the world needs a church that is not afraid of the dark or the darkness or the devils or demons or diseases or anything else that lives in it. Look, we do not get our doctrine of the devil from Hollywood. We get our doctrine of the devil from the holy word of God. 
You know, we, we, we sometimes think the devil is the devil that's portrayed in a Hollywood movie. He's the star. He wrote the script. And so he portrays himself like he wants to be seen. But that's not how the scriptures portray him. That's not how the gospels betray him. That's not how the apostle Paul's teachings, uh, you know, uh, show him. They show him as he truly is, not as he wants us to think he is with all of his makeup on in a Hollywood movie. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. You never see him portray himself like that in Hollywood. Jesus destroyed him and disarmed him and disgraced him on the cross. On the cross, Jesus destroyed him. Jesus disarmed him. And Jesus disgraced him on the cross. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, we read on the cross. This is all happens on the cross. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which were contrary to us. What is this? All the, the judgments against us. All of the 619 laws of Moses. Every charge that was against us. Every every arrest warrant for the guilt of our, of our life, the penalty, the sentencing, all of the charges that were ever against us, he, he, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements uh, that was against us in the law of Moses, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. The nails not only held his hand, his hands and his feet, the, the, the nails also held the charges against us. All the charges against us. And he, having nailed it to the cross, the cross is where Jesus' hands and feet were nailed. And the cross is where every accusation against my life was also nailed. And then we continue reading. This is what Jesus did on the cross. Having disarmed principalities, disarmed, disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it. On the cross, Jesus crushed the serpent. Crushed him. Crushed him with his heel. He crushed his head on the cross. What is there to fear from a darkness that Jesus has raided and invaded? What is there to fear from a demon or a devil that Jesus has dominated and subjugated? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22, God put all things under Christ's feet. God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him to the church as supreme Lord over all things. Satan is under his feet and you are his body. You are his hands and you are his feet. So what does a fearless church look like? It looks like fierce followers of Christ who are not afraid to die. It looks like bold believers in Jesus who are not afraid of man. It looks like daring disciples of Christ who are not afraid of the dark. And today, it looks like sold-out servants of the Savior who are not afraid to share their story. 
share your story. A frightened world needs to hear your story. You know, Paul, in the last recorded verses we have of him, and right near the end in the book of Acts, Paul had gone to Jerusalem. He was arrested, and he was sent, he was sent up to Caesarea Maritama. And for two years, Paul sat in a prison there on that coastal city. You can go visit Caesarea today. It's amazing to walk through there where Paul was imprisoned. During those two years, Paul had opportunity from time to time to state his case. And right near the end, he appeals to Rome. He appeals to Caesar. He goes to Rome. But an amazing opportunity happens. King Agrippa, with his royal entourage, comes. And they bring Paul. This, they, they plan this regal moment with the king and officials. And Paul, they bring him in chains and stand him in front of King Agrippa. And Paul stands before King Agrippa. And what does Paul do? He shares his story. Paul fearlessly shares his story before King Agrippa. He tells his story of how he was a Pharisee and how committed he was and how much he hated the way and how he persecuted the way and how he was on his way to Damascus to arrest even more of those who follow the way and how that on that Damascus road, Jesus appeared to him and Jesus spoke to him and Jesus called him and how from that moment, his life was now totally turned around to preaching and teaching Jesus. Paul shared his story. He shared what his life was like before he met Jesus. He shared how he encountered Jesus. And he shared how his life changed after he met Jesus. And King Agrippa listened. He listened to his story. And we record his words in Acts chapter 26, 28, and 29. His words are recorded. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. Sold out servants of Jesus who are not afraid to share their story. Seek out every opportunity to share your story. Do not shy away from your story. I met Carol when I was in the military. In the early 70s, I joined the United States Army because as a young Baptist pastor, I was filled with the Holy Spirit on a missions trip. And now I had become a Pentecostal pastor. And the Baptist denomination um, 
excommunicated me because of it. And I didn't know what to do. And I didn't know where to go. And so I felt, this was in the early 70s during the Vietnam conflict, but I felt in my heart I could serve Jesus in the military. I could serve him in the army. I didn't have a church anymore to serve him. But I could serve him in the military. I could become a soldier. And my heart's desire would be to be a good soldier, a soldier that would witness for Christ. And so if I was going to witness for Christ, then I was going to be the first to volunteer. I was going to be the best in attitude. I was going to be the, 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 the hardest worker in my platoon because all of that would give me a platform for my ministry for Jesus, to share Christ. And because that had been my heart, Often, by the grace of God, I was soldier of the month or soldier of the quarter or soldier of the battalion because I was simply putting extra effort in to be a witness for Christ. And I didn't realize that it would often put me in front of military regal boards with big master sergeants and majors and they would, because I was soldier of the battalion. And so there would be others who also had been, you know, uh, chosen to be that. And so they would question us and, and, you know, interrogate, not, but, but ask us, you know, so that they could choose who the soldier of the battalion would be. And I had this opportunity on different occasions. And every single time I would stand there in my best uniform, honored that, that my sergeants and lieutenants would pick me for this role. And here would be eight or 10 men. And they would always ask me, Every time I stood, they would always ask me this question. Specialist Haynes, tell us why you joined the military. And every time, I would say, I joined the military because I am a totally committed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I wanted to serve him as I served my country. And I wanted to be the best soldier I could be and also be the best friend I could be to my fellow soldiers and help them in every way I could. Someone today needs to hear your story. In John chapter 9, Jesus heals the blind man who had been born blind. He'd been blind from birth, and it caused a great stir. And now the Sadducees and Pharisees and the council, they're, they're inquiring of this man. What's happened? What's happened? And in verse 17, we get into this interrogation, and they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. And he said, he's a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been born blind. You know, that he had been born blind and received his sight. And so they called the man's parents of, the man, of him who had received it. It was easier to believe, you're lying. Get his parents. Get his parents. Bring them in here. And so his parents come in. And they ask them, saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered and said, we know 
this is our son, and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we, we do not know, or who opened his eyes, we, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him, and he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. Here their child, who was born blind, stands before them, completely seeing and completely whole. But they were afraid that the Jews would cancel them from the synagogue. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, they would be put out of the synagogue. They would be canceled. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age. Ask him. If you don't think fear isn't powerful, and you can't imagine what a parent must feel to see their child with that kind of a miracle all over him, but all they can think about is their fear of being canceled. And so they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know this man is a sinner. And he answered and he said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. The man did not share his theology or his doctrine or his mastery of scripture or his insight into Christology. He shared his story. He shared what happened to him when he met Jesus. Once I was blind, but now I see. Once I was bound, but now I'm free. A fearless church is not afraid to tell her story. In the fourth chapter of John, in the Samaritan village of Sychar, a woman meets Jesus at the well, the well that Jacob had given to his son Joseph, often referred to as Jacob's well. And pretty much the fourth chapter of John, just like the ninth chapter of John is given to the blind man, the fourth chapter of John is given to the story of this Samaritan woman. And so we know that Jesus engages her in conversation. The disciples have gone to town. She's out all alone drawing water. And they begin to talk. And in the middle of the conversation, in verse 13, Jesus says to her, you know, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. 
And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have said well, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one whom you have now is not your husband. And that you spoke truly. The woman said, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. And a few verses later, she says to him, verse 25, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. In verse 28, the woman left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. She shared her story. And she left her water pot to do it. The water pot was important, but sharing her story was urgent. Her city needed her story. Our city needs your story. Share your story. And really, you think about it. You think about it. Her story was short. Her story was simple. Her story was sincere. And her story was essential. Her story was the catalyst that caused her village to come and see for themselves. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. Many believed in him because of her story. He told me all that I ever did. Short story, simple story, sincere story. Many believed because of her story. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed. I mean, her story just keeps getting richer and richer and better and better. Many more Believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. But they wouldn't have known without her story. And you see, that's the beautiful of sharing 
your story because it leads to his story. What if, what if she had not shared her story? What if she just kept it to herself? What if she had just gone home that day and pondered in her heart all that had just happened to her? Her story introduced them to the Savior. This is the power of your story. It leads to his story. I believe that the greatest spiritual warfare that we can do is to tell the story. Ours and his. This is the greatest spiritual warfare. This is what advances the church of Jesus Christ into homes, into families, into neighborhoods, into workplaces, into schools, into cities, into nations. We read in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11, and they, believers, have defeated him. In this context, the him is the devil, the accuser of the brethren. And they defeated him. I mean, he was already defeated, but now it was their turn to stand up in that defeat and add more defeat to his defeat. And here's how they defeated him. By the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Their story, their witness, their testimony defeated the devil, drew back the kingdom of darkness, brought in the kingdom of Christ, brought in the kingdom of God. By their testimony. In the Greek, this is two words, the logos maraturia. It means the spoken testimony. It's the shared story. The shared story. Share your story. They defeated the devil as they witnessed and testified to what Jesus had done in their lives. What does a fearless church look like? Sold out servants of the Savior who are fearless to share their story. Paul said in Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. I tell you, our city needs your story. Your family Need your story. Your workmates need your story. The world, a frightened world, needs your story, not your silence. Not hesitant and reticent. The world needs us fearless 
and unfettered, not faint-hearted and frightened. With backbone, not back down or back away. Bold and brave, not bashful and fearful. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 19, he said, pray for me. Pray for me. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's plan. Pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. There was a day when Jesus was coming from Galilee through Samaria and just at the Samaritan border on his way into Judea and that area. Far off, the Bible tells us that there were 10 lepers. And those lepers were crying out across the street or across the field. And they were saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And Jesus called back to them. And he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. And so they turn to go show themselves to the priests. But one of them, on the way, looked down and saw what the Lord had done. He saw what the Lord had done. He was no longer a leper. He saw that he was no longer unclean. He just could hardly believe his eyes. And instead of going to the priests with the other nine, the Bible says he turned around. In Luke 17, in verse 15, one of them, one of them, when he realized, when he realized that he was healed, when he realized that he was saved, when he realized that he was safe, when he realized what had happened to him by the power of the master, he turned around and he came back shouting his gratitude, shouting his gratitude and glorifying God. That's why we share our story. Because I'm him and you're him. And as we share our story, we glorify God. And as we share our story, we express our gratitude. Shout your story with gratitude, glorifying God. I'm going to ask our team to come. What does a fearless church look like? Oh, the world needs a fearless church. The world is frightened. The world is confused. The world is conflicted. The world needs a courageous community where there's life and light and love, where there's grace, where there's hope, where there's a culture of courage where there is no fear but one, and that is the fear of the Lord, not the fear of man, not the fear of death, not the fear of darkness. There's just one fear, 
And that is the fear that releases, it's the holy fear, it's the beautiful fear, it's the fear that makes me fearless. What does a fearless church look like? Fierce followers of Christ who are not afraid to die. Bold believers in Jesus who are not afraid of man. Daring disciples of Christ who are not afraid of the dark. And sold out servants of Jesus who are not afraid to share their story. The world needs your story. Paul said, pray for me. Ask God get to give me the right words so that I can boldly explain God's plan. Pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. If you would like me Pray that prayer for you as I pray it for myself. I'm going to ask everyone that would like me to pray that prayer over them this morning, whether at home or in the building, to please stand to your feet. One of them when he realized that he was healed, when he realized what he was saved and what he'd been healed from and saved from, he turned around and came back shouting. He turned around and came back shouting. You can't cancel me. You can't cancel me. I have eternal life. My sins have been canceled. What can man cancel? Shout your story. Heavenly Father, I stand here and I pray for myself and I pray for my family that are standing with me at home and in this room. Father, the world needs us fearless. Lord, we need to establish right here in our city a courage culture where we can raise our sons and daughters, where we can teach our sons and daughters to not be afraid even though the media and the world and every dark force would have us cower under fear, we will not, we will not, we will not. Father, I pray that you will help each one of us, that you will give each one of us, Lord, the right words so that we can boldly share our story. Lord, the right word, the opportunities. And Lord, sometimes we just need to leave our water pots and make our own opportunities. Sometimes we just need to take the urgent and give it precedence over the important. And Father, I pray that you will keep us boldly speaking the truth, boldly speaking, telling our story, like Fa did this morning on that screen as he shared his story and the power of his story and how that that story would lead so many others to your story, to the story of a changed life by a Savior. Father, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you will help us, that Lord, together we would join arms, that we would be committed, that we would create together a culture where we are not afraid, where we are not afraid, that death has no fear over us, that, that, that darkness has no fear over us, that man has no fear over us, and that we would not be silent and shy and bashful and backward, but that we would be bold, and that Lord, you would give us boldness now in the Holy Spirit. I pray this, I pray this for me, I pray this for my family. I pray this for the church. 
I pray this for the house of God in our city. In Jesus' name, amen.